Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, what a blessing it is to be persuaded by the things of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 17, it tells us a story of how Paul and Silas went to the town of Thessalonica, uh, a big city by the standards in, two to 300,000 bigger than the city of Worcester, and, and um, preached the gospel there. And it says that some of them were persuaded. They came to Christ. They received Christ. And it changed everything. And so we began this sermon series three weeks ago talking about this. And we, the first week we saw that they were profoundly changed because of that decision in their lives. Profoundly changed deep down inside in a way that led them in their lives to begin turning away from things that weren't consistent with God and their relationship with Him and, and turning to things that were and that were positive. And, and really in today's sermon, we're going to have that idea of just turn away from certain things Two good things. Uh, and then we saw that the, the reason that they were so profoundly changed is because when it came to the word of God, it says they accepted it not like it was the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And so today as we engage with the scriptures, we need to remember this is what God says to us. It's not somebody's opinion. It's not just nice words. It's what God says to us. And then last week we talked about the struggle to be holy and saw that God told us that if we want to fight and struggle trying to be holy, it's, it's probably not going to work. In fact, it's not going to work. Instead, he told us to focus on loving, being, you know, loving other people the way God has loved us and learning to love like that. And as we love like that, God will change our hearts on the inside and make us holy. And that brings us to chapter 4 and today's sermon. Now, in the Greek culture at the time that Paul was writing these letters and that they were you know, traveling uh, the, the Greek world there and preaching the gospel, when it came to sexual morality, uh, it was not anywhere near a, a picture of biblical morality at all. It was very normal for a man, if he had any means about him at all, to have a wife who he could have children with and have legitimate children that then he would have heirs and he could pass down his, his property. And then he would also have what we today would call a mistress, someone to enjoy and spend time with. And then he, he would also, if he went to the temple to worship, he might be involved in sexual activity there because that was, they had, I mean, this had perverted worship and, and that kind of thing. And, and there was just no understanding at all of of what God's intent was for sexuality. And so when Paul would go and preach, by, by the way, we don't have those specific things today, but you know our culture's a lot like Thessalonica, where there is not an understanding of what biblical sexual morality is like and what God's good gift, how it's to be handled. That, that understanding is lacking. So we have a lot of things similar to us in Thessalonica. But so when, when Paul would go and preach and, and people would be persuaded, would come to Christ, uh, then he had to begin teaching about life and what God says. And, and just let me say this up front. When we don't handle this issue in our lives God's way, it always does damage. It always brings hurt, harm. 
And so Paul has to teach these new Christians about this and teach them, here's God's good way when it comes to the sexual issues in our lives and, and how we express ourselves in those things. Here's God's good way and, and you need to avoid this and that and the other thing and talk to them about that. And so he, he did teach them that. And in our passage, we're going to see that he reminds them. He says, I want to remind you of what I taught you when I was there. Now, God's intent for sex and life was good and bigger than we usually realize and think about. And so we want to try to get to that today. Uh, let's start off in Genesis chapter 1. Page two in the Bible that's there in the, the chairs. And if you don't have your own Bible, I encourage you to grab that Bible and follow along. Chapter one gives us an overview of how God created everything. Day one, day two, all the way through day six, day seven. He was done. He had stopped creating. But it describes how God felt about creation on the sixth day. So let's read the very last verse of chapter one. Page 31. Page 31. Verse 31, it says this, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was, what are the next two words? Very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now on the sixth day is when he had created Adam and had created Eve and brought them together as a couple, which includes this sexual relationship. And so God is saying, this is very good on the end of that day. All right, so let's go down to chapter two. I think it's one page over for you. God, when God made Adam, but then when he made Eve, he made her in a way and in a time, um, time sequence that really got Adam's attention to help Adam understand what God had really given him. And so let's start in verse number 20. This is happening on the sixth day. It says, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that just sounds so nice and formal and, you know, almost poetic, right? But I really think the way it went like this. God, Adam had been creating, you know, naming the animals all the day and there's no, no other man, no other human being, just, just him. And, and he notices this. And so God puts him to sleep and, and makes Eve. And he brings Eve to her. Now, Just, I mean, you have to forgive me today. Occasionally, I'm not used to in public saying certain things that I'm going to say here today. Nothing wrong with it, right? I just, if you were in my place, you might feel awkward occasionally too. Okay? But the idea is, they weren't wearing any clothes. Adam had no clothes on. Eve had no clothes on. And the first time Adam ever sees Eve, she has no clothes on. Now, sin hadn't come into the world Nothing was twisted, nothing, but I want you to know that God had designed Adam in a way that the way he designed Eve really got his attention, okay? 
So if you look at it here, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, and I get the feeling like this, he, he looks up and he sees her and recognizes there's another human being, but he goes, whoa, man, another human, <laughs> but whoa. <laughs> now you, you relax here, okay? And we really see this in the Hebrew language much more. Because in the Hebrew language, the word for man is ish, okay? And the word for woman is isha. And I think when he looked at her, he recognized her as human, then it went beyond that he went, isha. <laughs> okay, because God made us this way. He made us to glory in that kind of thing. God intended for it to be a good thing. So let's read on what, his, what God intended to do with this. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so, so uh, God's intention with this was this, this physical intimacy and the glory of that relationship went way beyond the physical part and and that physical intimacy also then leads to soul intimacy a connection at a level that we don't share with anybody else but our spouse and so this is God's intent with it it's a good good thing Genesis chapter 3 sad part of the story and we know the story Satan comes through the serpent and tempts Eve and Adam follows with her. Let's start in verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What a sad day. And there was nothing wrong with them being naked, right? I mean, God had made them that way, but something changed. When sin came, what happened is all of a sudden there's an immediate self-focus. Before that, there wasn't. There was this, you know, God focus, each other focus, and lo- this loving thing, and sin came, and all of a sudden now it's about me and this focus, and I'm self-conscious, and I gotta cover up. And so we see right here in the very beginning that one of the things that sin most hammered was the sexual aspect of our being. And it's been being twisted ever since. Now thankfully in God when we come to Christ and we can learn what the truth is about this issue and we can bring our lives into conformity with this and and grow in our relationship with the Lord, he can restore its original intention in our lives. And it can become an awesome thing, but anything else is detrimental. So that brings us to our passage here in 1 Thessalonians. So let's turn there. It's page 1358, I believe. Page 1358. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Now remember, last week you just got through telling them that if you will focus on loving, learning to love, God is going to produce holiness in your hearts. And so he continues here, chapter four, verse one. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Not just in love and what I've taught you, he says, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, or as how you should live your lives. Okay, abound in these things. 
Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay, so I taught you these things before. Let me remind you of them now. So here's where he starts. He says, for this is the will of God. Have you ever wondered what God's will for your life is? Well, this is one of those places when God says, this is it. This is my will for you. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we work our way through this passage of Scripture, your perfect inspired word, that you'd give us the insights that we need, that you would speak to us, that you'd speak through me, that you'd speak directly to your people here today, uh, that we might honor you in this area of our lives and experience the, the amazing blessings because of it. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to notice, and we just said, we focused on a little bit in verse three. This is the will of God, verse number eight. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. So the things we're gonna look at today are what God has to say about this subject, all right? We can have, I can have my opinion, you can have your opinion, uh, but this is what God says about it, which is what we absolutely need to hear. And so he says this, verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, the sanctification where we are becoming more and more what God intends for us to be. This is the turning away from the things that aren't consistent with who God wants us to be toward the things that he does want us to be. That's the idea of sanctification. And then he says this, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What's abstain mean? Not be a part of, right? Stay away from it. Don't have anything to do, for, do with it. You know, we think maybe in a voting kind of situation, we vote for and against, and some people say, I abstain. What do they mean? I'm not voting. So when he says abstain from sexual immorality, I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to do that. And so God puts sexual immorality off limits. Did he put sex off limits? Did he? No. He puts sexual immorality off limits, and we're gonna talk about that. But I want you to understand this. Whenever God puts something off limits, it's always because it's not good for us. Right? If God puts something off limits to us, it's because it's not good for us. Sexual immorality is not good for us. Now, who, on a nice winter's night, maybe you, let's say you go away and you're at a lodge or something and you walk into the, the, the big area there and they have a nice roaring fire there and you can sit around and enjoy it. How many, who likes that? Maybe in your own house, a fireplace, you know. I know Matt's new place, they got a fireplace and they have a fire going in there off in the evening and, and uh, my wife likes to go up there and sit and enjoy that. And so we do. A fire in the fireplace is an awesome thing. It, it warms us, it relaxes us, 
It's, it's, it's uh, enjoyable to watch, sometimes even a little bit of the smell, right? We like that kind of thing. But when the fire gets out of the fireplace, it becomes a huge problem. Things get burned. Things get damaged. Sometimes people get injured. People lose their lives when the fire gets out of the fireplace. Well, what I want you to understand is this is what we're talking about when it comes to God's view of sex and morality versus immorality. God has made this very, very powerful thing. And when it's where it is supposed to be in our lives, it is awesome. But when it gets out of where it's supposed to be, it always does damage. And so what I want you to remember today, if nothing else, is keep the fire in the fireplace. That should say in the fireplace. Keep the fire in the fireplace. Okay, so anytime you think about this subject from now on in your life, remember, keep the fire in the fireplace. So he says, no sexual immorality. Well, what is he talking about when he says no sexual immorality? Well, I think the way we want to understand this is we want to understand what sexual morality is. What does God say is good and right? Because immorality is, is the negating of that, or doing something different. So in the book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews says this, and it's inspired scripture. He says, marriage is honorable among all. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Now did you know God says things like this in his word? Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but the sexually immoral and adulterous God will judge. And so we have this contrast here. We have sexual immorality, and I think we all know what adultery is. The idea is God's saying that's not right, that's not acceptable. But when we talk about marriage, it's honorable. When he talks about the bed, he's talking about the physical intimacy of a marriage relationship and all that goes along with that. He says it's undefiled, it's clean, it's pure. It's holy. And so the idea is this, that the, what makes sex good and positive and okay primarily is the marriage relationship. That's the fireplace where it belongs. So let me do this. What I want to just is kind of put up a definition of then of what sexual morality looks like in a marriage relationship. So go ahead and put that up if you will. It's thinking, imagination, or behavior that produces sexual feelings between a man and woman married to each other. And that is in all aspects exclusive to them together. I say, say what? <laughs> well, let's just look at it. Let's talk about it a little more. Thinking, imagination, or behavior. So it's from the inside out, whatever's going on there. It's, it's that kind of thing that produces sexual feelings. And I, I'm just trying to figure out how to say this in ways that we get, but aren't overly graphic. So it produces sexual feelings between a man and a woman who are married to each other, right? They're not just married people, they're married to each other. And that in all aspects is exclusive to them together. In other words, it's not an individual thing. Sex is not intended to be an individual thing, it's a together thing, okay? And it needs to be exclusive to this couple, nobody else 
is in that part of the relationship in any way. And that's what we want to talk about. But first, before I do this, let me just jump to this, because we know that men and women are uh, typically different, okay? And there is, um, and there are stereotypes, and stereotypes exist for reasons, and not everybody fits this. But generally speaking, men tend to be, have more conscious thoughts related to sex than women do. Women tend, typically, and like I said, this is not true. If you're the opposite, don't think, oh, he's saying something's wrong with me. I'm not saying that. Typically, women tend to have more thoughts related to relationship, okay, than men do. And God's intent is for that to drive both of us to each other together. But so men have sexual thoughts often. And having a sexual thought, noticing something, a thought that comes to mind, is not a violation of this. Because men have sexual thoughts often, but that doesn't mean it goes farther than that. It doesn't mean that they ponder it or, but the idea is if they do begin to do that, and now this becomes about me and, and taking from me and thinking from me, and, and then it begins to produce sexual feelings. You see? See the difference? I mean, God made us to notice. And women, you notice things too that are appealing to you masculinity, I mean, so we notice. Noticing and having thoughts that come like that, we're not talking about that. We're talking about thinking that is leading toward sexual feelings, okay? Are you with me on that? Can I get the idea? All right, so, thinking, imagination, behavior that produce sexual feelings between a man and woman married to each other. So when we start, um, well, let me back up. Let me just say, this is what I really want to say here. There's freedom there, folks. As a human being made as a sexual human being, you are free to express your sexuality in this relationship. However that goes, you're free to pursue, you're free to respond, you are free to enjoy, you are free to give pleasure. All right? And sometimes that's usually passionate and sometimes it's relaxed, it doesn't matter. There's freedom here. Now, we struggle with that because we we were born with a sin nature and we've been exposed to so much junk that sometimes that's hard to get to. But we can by God's grace and help. But it is such a good thing because in a marriage relationship, when, so, you know, for my wife and I, nobody else shares that relationship with us. That's something that we have that nobody else has. It's ours. And as such, it produces an intimacy of soul. It produces a different kind of closeness between us. And yeah, we're different, right? I tend to to be motivated sexually and and then we come together and it produces, I feel intimate at a soul level with her. And she begins to feel soul intimacy and then opens herself up to me sexually. And so we have this wonderful thing that God has done. And a marriage that is, is really in the, the center of morality in this area is a very strong marriage and can weather an awfully lot of things. But it's bigger than that. Because the marriage relationship is intended to be a picture of God's relationship with his people, isn't it? Well, believe it or not, that includes this area. Because in this area, as, as we ponder, and I, you know, sometimes I to do this, I know Glenda has, we've talked about it, as we ponder what, you know, is happening here and, and that God designed this and what it's doing, we begin to learn something about God 
You know, I start to understand that God wants a relationship with me that includes passion. He wants me to have a passionate relationship with him. God wants me to have a, a relationship with him where I take great delight in him and find great pleasure in him. And, and he wants me to have this relationship where, where uh, he also finds pleasure in me because of how I'm interacting with him. And, and we could just keep going with that analogy, okay? There's so many things that we learned about God. And so this is an amazing gift that God has given us. And as Christians, we have the ability to understand what God has given us and, and the blessing that it is. And, and we also can start to see, wow, certain things aren't right and we can make the changes. But it's such an awesomely good thing. So much so that you need to understand that you deviate to your own harm. Any deviation from what God has said and God has done brings damage into your life. So, because our world has, I mean, we don't escape our world, do we? I mean, you could go decide to live out in the woods somewhere and, and stay away from the world and not have any interaction with it, but to do so would be disobedient to God because he tells you to go into the world and represent him in the world. But so we are, we are impacted by the world. We've been impacted by what we experienced growing up. We're impacted by what we've read, what we've listened to, what we've watched, what we have done, what we have experienced, what's been done to us. All of those kinds of things have affected us. And as a result, even as Christians in our culture, we don't always have a biblical understanding of sexual morality. And sometimes we think immorality is moral. And by the way, let me tell you how this happens. It's because if you compare yourself to the world around you out there, what are you going to conclude? Well, I'm, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not that way. But here's the problem. We always end up in the wrong place when we compare ourselves to the world instead of to the word. Okay? So remember that. Compare yourself to the word. And so what we want to do, I, I believe this definition is a good expression of, of sexual morality in the Bible. So let's, let's walk our way through this and, and then say, what is sexual immorality then? Well, sexual immorality will deviate from that definition in some way, shape, or form. It will, it will turn away from that. And what we find is this thinking, imagination, or behavior that is not between a man and woman who are married to each other. That's sexual immorality. Or they might be married to each other, but it is not exclusive to them in every aspect together. Okay? Things have been allowed to come in that don't belong there. And so that is, is immorality, sexual immorality is going to deviate from that definition. What does it include? Well, let's think about that and let's apply the definition. So some easy ones. Uh, having sex with someone who's not your husband or wife, right? That's an easy one, isn't it? That is sexual immorality. Pornography that you look at or watch or pornography that you read or listen to. See, pornography is visual or verbal or both with the intent of thinking, imagination, of behavior that produces sexual feelings. That's the purpose of it. And it's never with your spouse. It's always somebody else involved in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're reading about somebody else. You're watching somebody else. You're thinking about somebody else. It violates what is sexual morality. 
Uh, there ought not to be pornography in a person's life or in, in a marriage relationship. But I know we're, we're exposed, okay? We gotta keep working on it. I want you to consider this. Um, a couple of years ago, three years ago, now, I don't remember, but it was all the rage, um, 50 Shades of Grey, okay? Never read it, not going to read it. But boy, it was presented as acceptable and as respectable, a little risque, ha, 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 ha. But it was marketed hugely, and, and the world system pushed it, and then, of course, it eventually became a movie. But let me say to you, that is pornography. And it, it is not ex- about exclusive between my spouse and myself. It's about thinking about somebody else, bringing somebody. And so that way we're bringing, get this, 50 shades of gray is one shade of dark black. Okay? I'm not talking necessarily about anything that went on in the movie or the book. I don't even know this, but that isn't the issue. The issue is that we're looking at somebody else and we're looking at things that aren't about God's way. So another thing, bringing others into your sexual relationship with your spouse. That could be literally, but more often than not, it's, it's more likely fantasizing, talking about, pretending, in other words, not in all aspects exclusive to you with your spouse together. So that doesn't belong, see? Nobody else should be in that room with us. Not literally, not in our minds, not in our hearts. Except for the Lord, he's there. You know, Jesus really raised the standard about this. Remember when he said, whoever looks on a woman to lust after has already committed adultery in heart. And I put it like this, that it's not just we act out, it's also what we think about. And so when we start thinking about what belongs in our lives and what doesn't, we start to realize, you know, there's some movies, some television shows, even some music, and and certainly things we would read. We need to learn to abstain from those things if we find them leading us. You know, we start, oh, wow, we start becoming sexually, have sexual feelings, you know, that, that really aren't where they're supposed to be. And so we need to avoid those things, step back from them, abstain from them. Uh, how about romance novels? Now, you, you say, Walter, are you saying we can't read romance novels? What's the big deal? Well, there may not be any big deal. I, I'm not saying that you can't read romance novels. What I am saying is if you're reading romance novels and what it's stirring in you is not this definition. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't belong. And so the idea is we need to look at everything in our lives that way. All right, so these are things that are fairly straightforward. Let's, let's uh, let me be a little more, um, a little more, uh, a little harder with this. We're talking, sexual immorality is any kind of verbal or physical contact, verbal talking, or physical contact that produces sexual feelings with someone who is not your husband or wife. And all the singles here all of a sudden said, what? Wait a minute. How in the world can I have a relationship with anybody then? That's the, that's the case. Well, you can. What I'm saying is this. You have to, whether you are married or single, you have to be very purposeful and aware in your interactions with people that you're not married to. You need to think about that. How is it affecting you? How is it affecting them? And so you start thinking, well, what about holding hands, hugging, a kiss? And I know a bunch of you, I just lost. Teenagers, listen to me. Teens, listen to me. Okay? 
we're not making a rule that you can't hold hands, you can't hug, you can't kiss. That's not the point. What we're saying to you is that you have to be honest with yourself before God and say, what is this producing in me? Is this producing in me sexual feelings and I'm not even married to this person? You see, it shouldn't be there, should it? Do you get that? Yeah, you can probably hold hands, although I guarantee you there's times in my life when I held hands with my wife in a way that produced sexual feelings. You see, we have to be honest with ourselves and with God about that stuff and just learn to say no to things that are going to take us where we don't want to go. Because you remember, every step, doesn't matter how exciting it is, doesn't matter how good it feels at the moment, every step away from God's good gift is a step down. And it's a step that eventually brings damage into your life. You, and you really, as someone told me, one of the, of the men of our church uh, the other night told me, he says, tell them it's all a lie. <laughs> Anything that's not what God says, it's a lie. It's not going to do for you what you think it's going to do for you. And so we just have to learn to be honest with ourselves and God about this. Is this, is this producing things in me that I can't fulfill in a way that's honoring to God, in a way that's within God's definition of this gift. Are you guys with me on this? You seeing what we're saying? Okay. It's not about making up rules. It's about deciding that we are going to surrender ourselves to God's good ways and believing that his ways are best and pursuing them. Keep the fire in the fireplace. And it'll be a great Great blessing. Well, we're just about out of time. Let me just quickly say, how do you do this? Um, and and there's, there's more verses here. I would encourage you, you can read those and think about them. But here, here's what you got to do. In verse kind of four and five sort of tell us this. But what you have to do, let's say especially if you're single. If you're married, what you want to do is work on getting this relationship to what God says it should be. And so that they can grow and you can grow in that. If you're single and you say, well, I have no outlet here, what do I do? And maybe you struggle and you want, what you have to do is you have to gather up this whole thing. Okay, my sexual being, all of my sexual feelings, the temptations, all of my experiences, all of what has happened, all, and I gotta bring it all and I gotta come before God and say, God, here I am and I don't know what to do with myself. I want to honor you I'm I'm saying I want to trust you and my intention is to trust you in this and and not to be selfish, but to build my sexual relationship, all that I am here, I have no outlet for here in life, but I, I bring it for you and I ask you to work in my life because here's what I believe. I believe that when I align myself with your will in my sex life, it will always be the best thing whether I'm married or single, same. And wrestle through it with God and keep wrestling through it with God. May you find another Christian, a godly Christian, same gender, that you can talk to about your struggles and be open with. I can't tell you how many times of the years when I've had a man finally sit down and talk to me and say, I'm struggling morally. Just getting it out there begins the process of setting them free. It changes. So you need to find someone like that. Um, We're going to stop there.
There's more to say. But I think you see it. God's way is the best way, isn't it? Absolutely the best way. And it is uh, the best way far and above many times over any other way. Believe that. Ask God to help you with it. And you'll experience the blessings of it. And God will be honored in your life. He will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you deal with stuff, Lord, that we, uh, because of what sin has done in the world and sometimes the shame we feel that we don't want to deal with, but you bring it to us anyway. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for the great gift that you have given us in this area of sex in our lives and how you have made us. Lord, we ask you to to deliver us and keep delivering us from the, the things we have come to believe that aren't true, the things we've allowed in our lives that don't belong. Lord, Bring us freedom from those things. And may we become a people who, who have, have hot fire in the fireplace, Lord. Um, be a great blessing to us and to everyone we come into contact with. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you interact with people this way, they can be safe with you. They can be safe. And let me say this to you. We feel shame in this area of our lives often. But we need to be able to come to each other. You come to the pastors and other mature Christian, and we need to be, not be ashamed. Because we're all sinners. We were all sinners, I should say, and we're all being changed. Right? All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.